Welcome to Music History Monday for March 15th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is My Fair Lady and the Making of a Partnership. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the opening performance on March 15th, 1956, 65 years ago today, of the Broadway musical My Fair Lady at the Mark Hellinger Theater, which was located at 237 West 51st Street in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. For our information, since 1989, the theater has been the home of the Times Square Church. Originally starring Julie Andrews, Rex Harrison, and Stanley Holloway, this first Broadway production of My Fair Lady, there have been four Broadway revivals, ran for what was then a record-breaking 2,717 performances for six and a half years until September 29, 1962. Because we all want to know, the current record holder is Phantom of the Opera, which opened on January 26, 1988, and continues to run at the Majestic Theater. Currently suspended due to the pandemic, the Broadway production of Phantom has thus far racked up an astonishing 13,370 performances. Oh, wow. My Fair Lady is routinely called the perfect musical. And who are we to argue with that appraisal? Speaking for myself, I saw that first Broadway production in April of 1962. Attendance was my eighth birthday present. Though Julie Andrews, Rex Harrison, and Stanley Holloway had long before left the show, it was nevertheless pure magic for me then and remains so to this day. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will delve into the actual creation of My Fair Lady. For the remainder of this post, we're going to explore the issues and complexities surrounding the making of a musical partnership. Alan J. Lerner, 1918-1986, who wrote the book, the libretto and the lyrics for My Fair Lady, and Frederick Fritz Lowe, 1901-1988, who composed its music. Lerner and Lowe, Gershwin and Gershwin, Rogers and Hart, Rogers and Hammerstein, Adler and Ross, Buck and Harnick, Kander and Ebb. The great Broadway teams have become legends and their music is woven into the very fabric of our culture. We hear and say these names together so often that they merge into a single name, Lerner and Lowe. But a singularity these teams are not and never did two more different people collaborate with each other on Broadway musicals than in the case of Alan J. Lerner and Fritz Lowe. Let's get the numbers out of the way. Lerner and Lowe worked together for an aggregate of 20 years, from 1942 to 1960, and then again from 1970 to 1972. Together, they wrote nine musicals, five of which 
were major hits. Brigadoon, 1947. Paint Your Wagon, 1951. My Fair Lady, 1956. Camelot, 1960. And Gigi, 1973. Between the two of them, Alan J. Lerner and Fritz Lowe received three Tony Awards, three Academy Awards, two Grammy Awards, three Golden Globes, and two New York Drama Critics Circle Awards. We would begin with what Alan Lerner and Fritz Lowe had in common. They were both rather short, Lerner about five foot five inches, and Lowe about five foot four inches. And they both boxed when they were young men. That's it. Commonalities complete. Lowe was an Austrian who didn't come to the United States until he was 23 in 1924. He had the manners and mannerisms of a Central European gentleman, and he was subject to depression. Lerner was born in New York City and had a New Yorker's sense of outgoing brashness. As an Austrian, Lowe had suffered considerable deprivation during World War I, whereas Lerner grew up in the lap of luxury and entitlement. Lowe was married and divorced once. Lerner was married eight times. Looking back, the composer Burton Lane once remarked, quote, Alan was a very complicated fellow. Every time I would start to work with him, he was divorcing one wife and marrying the next one, unquote. Lowe was a classically trained piano prodigy and composer. Lerner's training consisted of attending the theater and developing his craft as a writer on his own. And yet, these two most different men with radically different personalities, backgrounds, and training became one of the greatest writing teams in the history of American theater. Lowe was born in Berlin to Viennese parents on June 10, 1901. His father, Edmund Lowe, was a famous operetta singer and actor who performed throughout Europe and North and South America. Young Fritz was a piano prodigy. He studied with Eugene d'Albert at the Berlin Conservatory. Now, he also claimed to have studied there with Ferruccio Busoni, though given Busoni's whereabouts at the time, that was not, in fact, possible. At 13, Lowe became the youngest piano soloist to appear with the Berlin Philharmonic to that time. But it was songwriting that really rubbed his rhubarb. He wrote his first song at the age of seven and was increasingly enamored with the songs of the American musical theater that he encountered in his teens. When his father traveled to New York for a gig in 1924, the 23-year-old Fritz went along with him, determined to become a Broadway composer. Well, it was easier said than done, and Lowe got by slash paid his dues by taking a series of utterly unrelated jobs, all of which were of great danger to his precious pianistic hands. Prize fighting in Brooklyn, and cow-punching and gold-mining in Montana. Returning to New York from Montana in 1931, Fritz made a living playing piano in Broadway pit orchestras and wrote songs on the side. 
1935, he appeared to get his break when a song of his entitled Love Tiptoed Through My Heart, with words by Irene Alexander, was inserted into a show titled Petticoat Fever. But in fact, Lowe did not get his break, and his career as a songwriter was one of continuous rejection and disappointment. For years, the only venue that would perform his songs was the annual Gambles show at the Lambs Club, the New York theatrical club in which he was a member. In 1942, at the age of 41, he tried to revive his career as a pianist and managed to secure Carnegie Hall for a recital. But the critics, what that there were, merely yawned, and that was that. And then, serendipity. Alan J. Lerner describes what happened. Quote, Once a year, I wrote lyrics for the Lamb's Gambles, the annual show. One day, late in August 1942, I was having lunch in the grill when a short, well-built, tightly strung man with a large head and hands and immensely dark circles under his eyes strode to a few feet from my table and stopped short. His destination was the men's room, and he had gone the wrong way. He turned to get back on the right road and suddenly saw me. His name was Frederick Lowe, Fritz to the membership, a Viennese ex-concert pianist and a talented, struggling composer. He came to my table and sat down. You're a learner, aren't you? he asked. I could not deny it. You write lyrics, don't you? he continued. I try, I replied. Well, he said, would you like to write with me? I immediately said yes, and we went to work. Unquote. Frederick Lowe was 41 years old. Alan Lerner was a few days shy of 23. And that's how their partnership began. Lerner was born on August 31, 1918, into a wealthy Jewish family in New York City. Around 1914, his father Joseph, Joseph's brother Samuel, and Harold Lane bought and transformed a small firm making blouses into a chain of women's stores called the Learner Shops. These Learner Shops became a mainstay of Main Street and malls across the United States and remained so until July 13, 2020, when the company declared bankruptcy due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Growing up, in the lap of luxury in New York City is rather far down the list of worst things that can happen to you. We read that at least once a week, Alan's father took the boy out for a night on the town, dinner, then off to a boxing match or the theater. According to Gene Lees, quote, from the time Alan was five, there was scarcely a musical on Broadway that the father and son did not attend together, unquote. This meant that Alan J. Lerner had a front row seat to the jazzification of the American musical theater, which went into overdrive thanks to the premiere and acclaim of George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue in February 1924. Growing up, Lerner lived in a 17-room apartment on Park Avenue. He was educated at the Columbia Grammar School in New York City, 
then at the Budiles School in Hampshire, England, followed by the Choate School in Wallingford, Connecticut. Yeah, while at Choate, Lerner wrote the school's football song and co-edited the yearbook with his classmate, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Much to his father's disgust, Allen was expelled from Choate for smoking in his room. Lerner likened his expulsion to, quote, punishing a prisoner by expelling him from jail, unquote. In the end, being expelled from Choate had zero impact on Lerner's academic life, and in 1937, he matriculated at Harvard University. It was at Harvard that he began his career in musical theater by writing for Harvard's annual Hasty Pudding musicals. The uh, Harvard Music Connection resumed many years later in 1957, when Lerner and his Harvard classmate, Leonard Bernstein, collaborated on a satirical musical salute to their alma mater entitled Lonely Men of Harvard. It was as a member of Harvard's boxing team that Lerner almost lost his sight. He took a punishing blow to the left side of his head and it knocked him out cold. The blow disconnected the retina of his left eye and damaged the retina in his right eye. A series of surgeries followed. In the end, he did indeed lose sight in his left eye, and in order to preserve his right eye, he was forbidden to take part in any athletic activity for a minimum of five years, and was warned that, quote, even bending over or sneezing could cost him the sight of his good eye, unquote. According to Lerner's friend, Ben Wells, quote, it was one of the turning points in his life. Unquote. And indeed it was. At the time Lerner graduated, his classmates, friends, and his brothers were headed into the military there to go to war. He was profoundly ashamed that he could not join them because of his eyesight and went so far as to petition the Surgeon General of the United States for permission to enlist. That petition was denied. By his own admission, deeply depressed, Lerner returned to New York, joined the Lambs Club on West 44th Street, and took up residence there. Lerner got a job writing for radio, turning out a prodigious amount of material. Years later, he told the reporter and critic Cleveland Amory that, quote, I wrote 500 scripts in two years, unquote. When Amory asked Lerner, if anything from his radio experience was presently of use, Lerner answered, quote, no, except the training and getting rid of artistic illusion, unquote. And so it was that in late August of 1942, this overworked and somewhat disillusioned radio writer was approached at the Lambs Club Grill by the composer Fritz Lowe. Lerner remembered, quote, I didn't even know who he was. I just said yes, probably because I thought anybody who was a member of the Lambs Club had to be a genius. Well, I didn't realize that he was, so we started working together just like that. We met that afternoon and started to work." Unquote. One last thing, ma'am. 
We began this post by observing how very different Fritz Lowe and Alan J. Lerner were in terms of their personalities, backgrounds, and sensibilities. Before we close, we must observe the greatest difference between them and how that difference defined their work and set them apart from other writing and composing teams in the American musical theater. Alan J. Lerner was a superb lyricist and playwright. As a native English speaker, he understood the language formally and idiomatically. As a student of the American musical theater and a great fan of jazz, his words and lyrics often have a rhythmic snap that puts his love for jazz and his New York roots in high relief. Fritz Lowe, however, was not a native English speaker. Even more, unlike virtually every other great American theatrical composer of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, Irving Berlin, Jerome Kern, George Gershwin, Richard Rogers, Cole Porter, Harold Arlen, Frank Lesser, Leonard Bernstein, et al., Lowe had almost no affinity for jazz. His musical sensibilities were pretty much entirely European. We hear Lowe's musical roots, the Viennese operetta, in the close integration of his music with the action of the story, with the alternation between recitative-like passages and aria-like passages within a single number, and with the structural complexity of so many of his songs. In an interview with the Canadian Broadcasting Company, Lowe asserted that, quote, I never was really a songwriter. I always considered myself a dramatic composer. A dramatic composer is someone that can illustrate in music any emotion, unquote. What is fascinating is the degree to which the artistic differences between them Alan Lerner, jazzer and native New Yorker, and Fritz Lowe, Austrian operettist, actually broadens the impact of their music rather than diminishes it. They would seem to have brought out the very best in each other, and never more so than in their masterwork, My Fair Lady. For all their ins and outs, and outs there were, mutual respect lay at the heart of their partnership. Both Lerner and Lowe knew that they brought out the best in each other. After Lowe retired from the theater, Lerner wrote, quote, There will never be another Fritz. Writing will never again be as much fun. A collaboration as intense as ours inescapably had to be complex. But I loved him more than I understood or misunderstood him, and I know he loved me more than he understood or misunderstood me." Unquote. When we return tomorrow and Dr. Bob prescribes, it will be with the genesis of My Fair Lady, a musical that for reasons we will discuss, many believed could not be written. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.